Exodus 14 is where we're at. <laughs> I know. I hate to break up the fellowship, Richard. It's the sound of Christian fellowship in action. It's a wonderful sound. A wonderful sound, but we do need to get stuck into God's Word this morning. I had to break up all the wonderful fellowship. There'll be a chance for some more fellowship over a cuppa at the end of the service uh, this morning. But we are in Exodus chapter 14. This uh, goes over a few chapters. Um, so again, I've been relying on you throughout this journey to sort of fill in the blanks because we'll, the Bible readings could be quite long. Um, but we're just going to chat. We're going to sort of work through verse chapter 14 from about verse 5. Uh, this morning. Now, uh, before we do that, I want to tell you about the Slave Bible. Uh, the Slave Bible was a version of the Bible, a heavily edited a version of the Bible uh, that was produced for use by the slaves in the British West Indies. A noble cause, you would have thought, right? To produce a Bible to introduce Christianity uh, to, to the slave population of, of the West Indies. However, this Bible was, was heavily edited to exclude all references to the Exodus from Egypt. Can you guess why? I'm sure you can. Imagine a Bible without the Exodus, with no, no Moses, with no, uh, with no journey through uh, the Red Sea, no fleeing slavery. That was what was produced and labelled as the Bible. Because, of course, the slave owners didn't want the slaves getting any ideas. The slave owners knew that this story was a powerful story. The slave owners knew that this was an inspiring story of an oppressed people taking on the greatest power the world had ever known and overcoming and finding a way to freedom. They didn't want the slaves being inspired, getting any, any bright ideas for themselves. The slave Bible was designed... To, uh, to introduce Christianity to the slaves, but to keep them in, in slavery. Yeah, it's a real thing. You can check it out to this day, still uh, today. See, the Exodus, this story demands something of us, doesn't it? The book of Exodus, and this, this story in particular today, uh, demands something of us. It demands that we partner with God in the grueling work, in the often heartbreaking work and, and, and disappointing work of, of building a just society where, where everyone lives with dignity and, and with respect. It calls us to build a society that is, in fact, a counter-testimony to the brutality and the injustice in our world. Uh, Emma Lazarus was a poet whose words are inscribed on the Statue of Liberty. In 1883, she wrote, Until we are all free, none of us are free. Until we are all free, none of us are free. I'm not seeing any of our American members of the congregation here uh, this morning, but a shout-out uh, to our American uh, friends on the Statue of Liberty. Until we are all free, none of us are free. So let's have a look at this, this famous text. I'm going to be reading from chapter 14, verses 5 through to 31. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, so they fled, they were out of Egypt, a pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? 
We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the sea at Pi Hariroth, opposite Baal Zephon. If you say these biblical place names with confidence, no one really knows you're getting them wrong. Just a a pro tip. Uh, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have... What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Pharaoh's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea swept back into place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord 
and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to explore this very familiar text, we do pray for a fresh insight, a fresh challenge perhaps. Father, we pray that you might bring this scripture to light for us. Father, we pray that you might help us to apply it in our lives, that we might not be simply hearers of the word, but indeed doers of the word. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, if you're a regular, uh, and you'll know that uh, today we get to, the, the, of course, the actual Exodus from which the, the book is, is named, this miraculous crossing of the Hebrew people uh, from Egypt. Uh, it is, in fact, a bit of a paradigm right throughout Scripture. It is, a, it, is a, it is seen as a foundational text and is looked to and is quoted throughout uh, the Bible. It's seen as a bit of a metaphor or, or a paradigm of how God helps his people escape that which is enslaving them, that which is, that which is killing them and brings them out into new life. So it is a foundational text for we followers of Jesus, just like it is, of course, for our Jewish friends uh, as well. And Christians have always looked at this passage to help us understand what it means to be saved. And this passage illustrates how, how God uh, intervenes to enable us to escape the things that are continuing to ensnare us. So this morning I want to ask this question, well, what is it that you need to escape from? What is it that you and I need to escape from and, and how, do we, how do we do that? So we pick up the story uh, as we've been following along. The, the, the Hebrews or the Israelites, God's people, have now left Egypt, right? So they've, they've been let go. If you are with us last week, you'll have heard that... Uh, about the ten plagues, God has, has sent ten devastating plagues upon the Egyptians. Uh, miraculous wonders in, in, in sort of punishment to encourage Pharaoh to, to let his people go. And this has been the cry, let my people go that, I may wor- that we may worship God out in the wilderness. And interestingly, one of the things, one of the big takeaways that I've learned in researching this text is that the Hebrew word for, for servitude or service is the same word as to worship, right? Sometimes we, 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 we sort of think that worship and, and work are two different things. We worship here on a Sunday and then we go to work from Monday to Friday. That's not the way God sees it. These are two sides of the same coin, both in our worship and in our work throughout the week. We, we honour God. So that was, I found that to be a really interesting thing. They're called to set free to worship God or indeed to serve God. They're coming out of servitude from the Egyptians. They're coming out uh, to, serve, to serve God. The problem is, is that now that they're free, Pharaoh has finally relented, said, get out of here after the devastating 10th plague of the death of the firstborn. He changes his mind. They go, what have we done? We've lost all of our slaves. We've lost our workforce. And they take off. To get them. 600 chariots, the best chariots, these were the, the battle tanks of the ancient world, the most devastating war machine that the world had ever seen. These were uh, devastating um, tools of, of destruction. And so the this, this situation here is that God's people, the Israelites, are trapped. They're stuck. They've come to the Red Sea. They've come to the, the, the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And, and they've got Pharaoh's army bearing down on, on top of them. 
And of course, they panic. Of course, they're tremendously, they're tremendously scared. They look up in verse 10, see Pharaoh's army approaching, and they turn on Moses. Not for the first time and not for the last time, these people turn on Moses and start, uh, start accusing him of all sorts of things. They cynically cry out, "What was it? were there not enough graves back in Egypt that you brought us out here to the desert to die? Like they accuse him of basically working almost for the Egyptians to simply take them out to be slaughtered out in, in the desert. Notice, I want you to notice at this point that God is nowhere in their thinking. At this point, all they can think about is, is themselves and, and saving their own hide. God has, remember, God at this point has intervened 10 times to miraculously save them and to, to bring them out, to bring them out of Egypt. But God is nowhere in their minds at this point. So what I want you to see at this point is that technically speaking, they're free. They're out of Egypt, right? They're no longer in slavery. So technically they're free, but can you see, church, how they're still slaves? They're still enslaved to fear. They're enslaved to their own senses. They're enslaved to circumstances. Because God hasn't yet brought them to Sinai and entered into a covenant, they haven't yet committed themselves to serving God. They're between masters, as it were. So they've come out from serving Pharaoh and they haven't yet committed themselves or covenanted themselves to serving God. So they're in this in-between stage between masters. And so their own senses and fears rush in to fill the void. That's what's happening. They're panicking. They're full of anger. They're full of despair and recrimination and, and thanklessness. But Moses is different. I love this. I love this transformation of this man. If you've been journeying with us here at Church in the Marketplace, you'll know I've been ragging on Moses a fair bit, haven't I? Right? Moses, throughout the story up until this point, has been a very reluctant sort of a hero. But here he comes into his own. Moses is calm. He's in control of himself. He's not paralyzed with fear like the rest of his countrymen and women. He's confident that God will provide come what May. And why? Why is that? Why is Moses all of a sudden gone from this cowardly, reluctant hero to being this pillar of, of strength? Well, I think it's because Moses by this stage has in fact yielded his life. He has in fact surrendered to God as being the master or the Lord of his life. Moses has experienced God. He's seen God at the, at the burning bush. And although it took a while for him and he was full of excuses there for a while, by now he has said, yes, Lord, I'm yours. I, do with me with what you will, Father. Whatever it is, come what may, Heavenly Father, I am, I am yours. And I think we see it bearing some fruit in this really critical moment, this really, this really high, really high pressure, this really high pressure moment here. So in verses uh, 13 to 14, if you've got it open in front of you, he, he calmly yet firmly exhibits one of the all-time great examples of godly leadership. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. He says, do not be afraid. He says, stand firm. You'll see the deliverance that God will bring today. He says, the Egyptians that you're seeing today, that's the last you're ever going to see of them. He says, the Lord will fight for you. And listen to this. You only need to be still. Inspiring stuff, isn't it? 
challenging yet inspiring stuff. And he obviously, we don't know what, he obviously started praying at this point because the very next verse, um, God, he, God responds to Moses. He's obviously interceding on his people's behalf, but God responds. Have a look at this as well in verse 15. God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? He says, tell the Israelites to move on. He says, raise out, stretch out your arm, divide the waters so that, the Israelites, so that your people can go through on, on dry ground. God, in effect, tells his people, get going. He says, what are you waiting for? God, in effect, says, just get on with it. What, are you going to get a little thing like the sea stop you? Crack on, get going, is in effect what God is, is saying to them. And I, I love this part. This was a real challenge to me because I think this is where the church is. I think this is where the church in the West is at. We're at this position where there's a bit of a barrier. I don't really know what God's got in store. We're on this journey and, and, and our generations passed. There was a bit of a, we sort of knew where we were going in the church, but now everything's up in the air and, and we've got a bit of a barrier in front of us, a world that really doesn't want to know us or, or hear the message. We're, we're coming out of COVID and many people just simply have returned to church. It's not uncommon, by the way, for, for churches to be down 30 40%, and we're saying, well, well God, what, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us uh, to be as a congregation here? We've been leaning in and trying to listen for God's call and, on who he wants us to be here at, at church in the marketplace. But God says, you know what, guys, just step out in faith. Keep going. Don't stop. I will provide a way where there is no way. So I found this little part of the passage challenging and confronting and and really encouraging, because I think what it says to me is that if we as a church family are indeed prepared to just keep on putting one foot in front of the other, serving with whoever we can, with whatever he provides, God will provide. He will provide a way, even if we don't really see where it is that he's calling us to throughout the 21st century, both as a congregation, but as God's broader church in the West. I think that's encouraging. Do you find that encouraging? Because I found that encouraging this week as I was looking at this passage. And of course, you know the story. In one of the all-time great episodes of history, God indeed parts the Red Sea and they walk through on, on dry ground. We read there is like a canyon of water, a wall of water on both sides. Quite a step of faith. It would have taken a step of faith. Another little lesson for us as a church. They had to step out in faith and walk through this canyon of water. I'm quite certain some of the kids were going, oh, look, dolphins, mum and dad. But I'm also quite certain some of them were thinking, we're going to die, we're going to die. They had to step out in faith in order to take hold of the future that God had prepared for them. We also know the story that once they were through to the other side, Moses again raises out his staff. The waters crash back in on the Egyptian army and, and they, had, they are all drowned. Nothing left but dead bodies being washed up on on the shore. So, where does this leave us? How do we apply this in our lives today? Well, I want us to point out, I want to share with you the idea that we Westerners love freedom, don't we? We love a concept of freedom. This is an inspiring passage, right? It's been an inspiring passage uh, for those who indeed were opposing the slave trade. It, it, this is a, a foundational passage for Western civilization, as a matter of fact. And we love our freedoms today. We don't love any restrictions on our own personal choice. And we love being our own Lord and Master. We don't like being answerable to anyone else. We like to belong to ourselves alone, be my own Master and Commander. What this text says, I think, is that that's 
an impossibility. I think this text says that it's a fiction, that we can ever truly be our own lord of the manor. You're either a slave to God or you're going to be a slave to the things of this world. Uh, Bob Dylan uh, became a Christian partway through his career. Now, is anyone a fan of Dylan? Kind of before my time. Getting if he became a Christian and started writing some gospel songs. I don't know where he stands today with his faith, but for a while in his career, he became a very committed Christian and started writing some wonderful gospel songs. And one of the songs speaks to this very notion. He wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. You Gotta Serve Somebody. Listen to the lyrics. He wrote, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There's really no such thing as having no God. You're never truly your own. Remember when the God called Pharaoh to let my people go? It wasn't just to let them go, it's that they might worship God. That was the point of this freedom. This is the point of the whole episode. This episode teaches us that the Israelites, they weren't truly free simply because they were free from Egypt. They weren't free really until they had committed, covenanted themselves to following God. At this point, they're not truly free because they're not really worshipping God at this point. This is the beating heart of Exodus, that unless God is absolutely the Lord of your life, then you're in fact still a slave. You've got to live for something. Something in your life will be giving your life meaning and purpose. Something will cause you to get up in the morning, won't it? There's any number of examples I could use, but one I came across this week was Rocky, the story of Rocky, right? Uh, Sylvester Stallone as Rocky as a, as a sort of the underdog boxer, working tirelessly hard. In the, you've seen the montages of him working out. And at one point he's challenged, why are you doing this? Just give up. It's too hard. You're the under, just give up. Why are you doing this? Why are you continuing? And Rocky responds with, because then I'll know I'm not a bum. See, Rocky was living for boxing glory. Rocky was driven by something within him to give himself his life meaning and, and purpose. He had to know that he wasn't a bum, that he wasn't just a hopeless loser, right? He was being driven by sporting glory. What about you? What, what are you living for? What gets you up in the morning? You're going to live for something. What, what, is it, what is it for you? Something that's giving you meaning and purpose, something that gives you significance perhaps in your world? Uh, what, what, is it, what is it for you? We, like to, we, don't, we don't think like to think we're slaves. Nobody likes to think they're a slave. But look, think of the, think of the Israelites when the army's bearing down on top of them. They were idealizing their slave life. We, well, we were doing fine back in Egypt being slaves. They were kidding themselves. None of them were truly free. Of course, it's easy for us to recognize the really bad forms of servitude, the really evil forms of slavery, like actual slavery or, say, addictions, perhaps. But there's far more very subtle forms of slavery. There's far more subtle forms of 
things that can take over your life and grab hold of it. Some of them can be really good things. Many blokes today, for instance, idolize. They make a god out of their own independence. They never commit to a woman. They never commit to anything. Weak men, boys who shave. There's a pandemic of them out there. Their God is their own independence. That's pathetic. It can be something really, really positive and good like family. It's a really subtle one. People idealizing their family. Got the picture-perfect family and the kids are growing up and they're doing well at school and one's become this and one's doing that. It, if you're putting your, the meaning of your life, how you're gaining respect or how you're gaining significance in their life, in anyone, including your own family, friend, you are asking to carry a weight that they were not designed to bear. Anything under the sun, including even your own family, if you're asking them to be your God, you're asking them to bear up under a weight that they were never designed to carry. And it's going to lead to distortion, it's going to lead to pain, it's going to lead to all manner of deluded thinking and pain and ultimately suffering. People, human beings, will, will let you down. We let each other down all the, all the time. Only God can fulfill this role in your life of your master who will in fact bring true freedom, will in fact bring true life. Only God will never disappoint. Can I encourage your friend to escape into God's arms today? You need to be saved from not serving God. Let me say that again. You need to be saved from not serving God. Because God's people this particular day were saved spectacularly. It might not come for you in such a spectacular fashion, but you still do need saving. You still do need God to intervene in, in your life. You might sometimes still hear the siren's call of slavery calling to you from back over the waters. If you know the story, by the way, you'll know that, in fact, they're out in the desert and you'd think, you'd think they'd be so thankful to God, but it doesn't take very long at all. And again, they're hearkening back to Egypt. They're looking, hearing the sirens call over the waters of the Red Sea back into slavery. I once read a story about a, about a marketplace in, in India and a, a farmer was selling quail that he'd taught to walk in a circle round and around and around in a ring with, leg, with its legs attached to a little string. And around and around in a circle, they would constantly walk. A man came along and took pity on these little quail. He purchased them all and, and told the, the, the vendor, set them free. Well, the man was, what, set them free? You just purchased Yes, I've purchased them. They are mine. Set them free. He said, cut the strings to their legs. Set them free. Well, the vendor did exactly as he was told. He snipped the little strings holding these birds, tethering to their little ring as they walked around in a circle. And he tried to shoo them away, but they wouldn't leave. They kept on work, walking around and around in a circle. Eventually, the man who'd purchased them was, was, was so frustrated. He actually physically shooed them away and made them flew away, but they, they flew off and gathered back down on the ground and continued their march around in a circle yet again. They were so used to just walking around in their circle, to being slaves to what they had been taught, that they didn't really know what it was to be free. Let's, let's make sure that we are realizing that we can be subtly enslaved to the things of this world without 
really noticing it. We need a permanent liberation. We need to escape death once and for all. Fortunately, of course, God has done all the hard work. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. God has provided for us another means of escape. Moses was, of course, a great mediator between God and his people. But friend, Moses points to an even greater mediator. Amen. Moses points to an even greater media between God and you and I, his son, Jesus Christ. The floodwaters that day represented judgment, just like they represented judgment back in the time of the flood. But in Jesus Christ, floodwaters represent new life, don't they? They represent new hope. The New Testament is quite explicit about this. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about this famous episode and says this was like a baptism. He actually calls it like a form of baptism. Think about it. They went down into the water and came up into new life, into a freedom. They only had to claim it for themselves. Jesus talks about crossing over from death to life, and he says, take my yoke upon you. Enter into service to me, he says. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Exactly. I love your church, how you can finish my scripture sentences. I love that. Jesus' yoke is the only one that will not enslave you and crush you, but it will bring you true, abundant resurrection life. Israel was freed that day from service to Pharaoh in order to worship the Lord. The question for us, church, is still the same. Who or what will we serve? Can I leave you with a challenge? And I challenge you this morning to escape your slavery. Escape slavery to the things of this world. Escape slavery to the things of this world into abundant, eternal resurrection life with meaning and purpose with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you're the master and commander of your life. And I encourage you to say to the things that would call you to be servants, but in fact, which you need to master. Say to those things that should be your servants, but may have become your master. Tell them, you are not my joy. Jesus is my joy. You are not my safety. Jesus is my safety. You are not my security. Jesus is my security. You are not my life. Jesus is my life. Friends, take hold of freedom today. Put your life, surrender your life to Christ. Put your life in his hands today and live. Amen? Let's pray. Our loving Lord, set us free, we pray. We claim hold of your offer of eternal life, of abundant life, true life, a life free from the worries and the back and forth of this world. The, the little things of this world, Father, that seem to hold us captive, that hold sway over our lives, that can only ever lead to disappointment, the things that will only ever rust and fade away. Help us to see that which is ensnaring us. Help us to see that which is holding us back. Help us to see that which we are lifting up as an idol in our lives. Help us to see it. Help us to put it to death today and to live in Christ. In Jesus' name, all the people said, Amen.